Kindred Church is a Christian community gathering in Reno, Nevada. We employ a dialogical teaching style, but for the sake of privacy, we remove the participants' responses from the recording. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we'd love to have you join us in person or online. For more information about the church and for our service time, location, and virtual gathering options, visit kindredchurchreno.com. My name's Mike. I haven't met you before. I'm one of the pastors here among several, and I'm going to be helping guide our discussion through Mark chapter 9 today. We've been going through the whole book of Mark in these similar story chunks, and in 9, Mark covers a few different things that Jesus did or taught. But I want to say one thing first. Mark chapter 9 kind of has a few big moments in it, and we could spend our entire time talking about any one of these things. So I wanted to see what you guys want to talk about the most, so I can kind of spend more time on that. So there's a super trippy transfiguration account that's really fun to read. We can talk about that. The Christian pacifist mindset comes a lot from some of the things that Jesus says in this chapter and um, talking about kids in the kingdom of heaven, which I will do something more specific about that later. So does anybody have a vote? Anyone have a desire of what to talk about first? Number two, pacifism. Okay, well, I will read the passage that kind of sets that up. So this is happening as Jesus is moving into Capernaum to sit with his disciples and his friends and do some kind of like one-on-one more intimate teaching and instruction with them. And so this is one of the things that is a small discussion that's recorded as Jesus is kind of with his closest people who are asking him these questions. So John asks Jesus, this is just after he brings the child in the midst of them. This is like the immediate question following. He says, Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly be rewarded. So a lot of different ideas that kind of come out of these few words, honestly, that really affect the overarching construct that gets in your mind when you think about Christianity. Like there's some big ones that come just from these few words here. One for me, that was a surprise to me about this passage, because I, for some reason, have always cataloged it and heard people talk about it and even reading it myself, just mix up the words. I have read this so many times. Whoever is not for me, it's against me, right? And I, I always hear it coupled with the verse where Jesus is recorded as saying, you know, I desire for you to be either hot or cold, right? If you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Whoever's not for me is against me. But that's not what Jesus says here, is it? And for some reason, it got put in my memory as whoever's not for me is against me. But it's the opposite. Jesus is literally saying here, whoever's not explicitly told you, hey, I'm against you. You should know that. Whoever's not communicated that to you, Jesus is encouraging us here to consider that they are for you, that they are with us, that they are on our side. Let me speak about this from my own experience. I have a tendency when I see another person, and I'm not thinking this way, to assume that I'm a problem. Me being here, I'm I'm too big. That's one problem that happens a lot is standing in people's way. And I'm like, oh, I'm your problem. Let me get out of your way. Or I'm too loud. That happens a lot too. You know, it's a peaceful environment. I'm like, hey guys, what's going on? Everybody knows I'm an extrovert. You know, so I'm very loud. I represent something that's frightening. It happens a lot for people in religion, spirituality, especially being more of a progressive church, or like I'm into like all the ancient mystical practices of Christianity, which people are really, you know, weirded out about sometimes if you haven't been exposed to it before. I can easily represent something that's dangerous to people. And so I just kind of walk around assuming that anyone around me probably does not want me to be there or say something unless they've already been exposed to who I am and my personality and that now I've made a connection and all this stuff. And it's never really hostile. I never feel like a random person just hates 
hates me. Just the worst. You know, I never feel like that, but I always feel like this is not my space. This is not my person. These are not my people. I need to kind of excuse myself and get out of the space. That's one way that it kind of manifests for me in my life. But I think what Jesus is encouraging us to do in situations like this is to just assume the opposite and in a very simple, pragmatic way to assume the opposite, to assume this person is interested in what I have to say. And that's not to say that they will be interested. Maybe it'll be still be a big surprise of like, hey, what's this giant man doing talking to me for no reason? But I'm going into those experiences expecting that this person, I'm not a threat to them, right? Because if I assume that I'm not a threat to them, then it's easier to assume that they're not a threat to me. That's some of the heart of the past pacifist nature of Jesus that you see through him. And he talks about if someone strikes you on the cheek, you turn and offer the other cheek as well to be struck. Or when you see Jesus being betrayed, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's being arrested and dragged away, what does Peter do? Do you remember? He takes a real good swing at this dude's neck and luckily only skims his ear, right? And Jesus says, hey, don't do that. Whoever lives by the sword is going to die by the sword, right? That Don't do that. And then he, you know, miraculously restores the man's ear as Jesus does. You know, he talks about this and I believe that it's this thinking that's sort of at the heart of Jesus's ability to not retaliate when he's being accused of heresy or physically attacked. I mean, he bore flagellation, the kind of thing that would kill a normal person. He bore it. And the scripture says, like a lamb before its shearer, so he opened not his mouth, you know, like a lamb led to the slaughter just accepts it. And that kind of radical, like self-control in the midst of harm doing upon us is practically impossible. And it's only through gradually testing the waters of life. So you're going through your life and you try to notice the points where you would normally go, oh, I got to get out of here. Oh, this person, oh, I just, you know, I'm bothering this, whatever. Because those are the ways that I, you know, manifest that like suspicion that somebody is not for me, right? That's the general suspicion. And that's how I manifest those things. But like we, go through our life and every time we notice that, that little mechanism, we just kind of turn the dial a little bit and go, I'm choosing to assume against my better judgment that this is fine. Everything's fine. This person is fine with me. It's okay. And then let them be the one to tell you, hey, this is not okay. (laughs) I'd prefer if you left me alone now, you know? And that seems to be the dividing line that Jesus is drawing is just like, look, man, you could assume that everyone's against you, but the odds are they're for you. So just assume that, walk that way. And if, and Jesus says elsewhere, if it turns out they are against you, then just, you know, wipe the dust off of your sandals. It was what, you know, the words he uses at the time, because that's where they live and they're wearing sandals and I wear sandals as well. Anyway, he's like, just kick the dust off your feet, man, and and move on because everyone out there is for you. They're all out there for you. Every once in a while, you find someone who's not for you. And so for me, as a pacifist, and some of like the reason that I sort of subscribe to pacifism is to own a weapon or to train yourself to fight. Not that any of those things are wrong, but for me, in my spiritual practice, my spiritual discipline of peacekeeping and peacemaking in particular, I assume I will never need to fight. I assume I will never need a gun. And I'd rather be proven wrong. I'd rather think I never need one and then accidentally find myself in a situation where I needed to defend myself and couldn't. I'd rather that happen than to actually hurt somebody. Does that make sense? I'd rather be hurt myself. And that's easy to say when you think about it before something is happening. I'm sure that in the moment I would actually like throw down and try to, you know, beat somebody up. I've seen lots of movies, so I could probably do that because that's how self-defense really works, doesn't it? 
But uh, I think some of the heart of anti-retaliation comes from that base assumption that I will never need to hurt somebody. There's never a good reason. There's never a point. I will never need to. And that starts as something like, I think they're going to be mad at me if I show my face around here, or I think I'm not invited to this, or I think I've outstayed my welcome. And turning that upside down to be like, unless they say I've outstayed my welcome, or else I say it's something, then I'm sure it's fine. You start there, right? And you just go to the next step and the next step and the next step. And eventually you're going, I assume this person is not going to hurt me. And then you find out to the contrary, they do end up hurting you. And that's a surprise. You want to be surprised when somebody hurts you, you know? Like what? How? Why? Not like, yep, figures everyone's got it out for me. They always trying to attack me, find me, target me. I think Jesus invites us to be surprised by that feeling and be way more comfortable with just assuming, oh, of course, yeah, they're cool. They're nice. Nothing to worry about. Everything's good. It's chill. Obviously, there's much bigger things in the world that are concerning that we need to be aware of, that are conflicts. People are getting hurt, that we do need to respond to those things. I'm not saying to ignore that, but for most of us, we will never actually encounter that. Like sometimes my kids talk to me about robbers and I'm like, well, yeah, I have heard that people steal stuff. I have heard about that, read lots of stories about that. I don't know anyone who steals. Never met somebody who's like a bona fide robber. This is what I do. I just go around stealing stuff from people. Personally, I've never met somebody like that. And I may live a very privileged life away from crime. And that's probably very, very true about me. But for me and what I can tell about reality from my own observation is that generally speaking, everybody's safe. And it's that sort of mentality I think Jesus encourages us to have. And that's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. You don't think of yourself and go, I'm a danger to myself. I mean, sometimes we do, you know, with mental health and things like that. Absolutely. But a lot of times our self is the only safe place for our psyche. And to start to practice treating somebody else as a safe place is peacemaking, is making somebody else a place of peace for you and being a place of peace for somebody else. Thoughts, comments, that's interesting, but I think this, that kind of stuff, this is a great time to do that. Fire away. It's more just like, when I notice it, what do I do? Because we are going to die. All of us are going to die eventually. That's just like guaranteed. That's what happens when this body wears out is you die. You can die at any point. You can just like pop. Like we're squishy. That can happen really, really easily. And we can spend so much of our life freaking out about that coming, especially at the hands of another human. I think we spend most of our time worrying about other people when the universe itself is trying to kill us. (laughs) It's a vast vacuum of nothingness that will destroy you in an infinitesimal amount of time if you just go outside of our atmosphere. We are on a floating spaceship. It's convertible. There's no protection except for this cushion of air. And we think people are the problem. Back when I was like a raging Calvinist, I would say that I believe so completely in God's predestined plan that someone could fire a gun at my face and if it weren't God's will, the bullet would bounce off my forehead. And I agree still to that sort of, but I more would say like that would, nobody would ever shoot at me. That's how that would actually work. (laughs) Yeah, it is definitely a touchy subject, you know, especially like if somebody has been in some kind of violent crime before. It's hard to say that stuff out loud, you know? And I think that's part of the mystery of like being alive. How do you live without being afraid all the time? So here's a good example. This is just from my own life. I was in Portland a couple weeks ago visiting a friend. I go down to his hotel. We get a drink at the bar. I'm trying to walk back to my hotel, which is less than, it's like 800 feet away. And I could not figure it out. The maps in downtown Portland are atrocious. It's midnight at this point, And everything in me was like, danger, danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> this is bad. Escape, run for your life. And so what I did is I just stopped and asked somebody where to go. <laughs> so it wasn't like a leap of faith, but it was a tiny step for sure. It was a danger situation. All my alarms were going off of going, okay, 
what I want to do is just kind of keep circling this block until I figure out my own way and don't talk to anybody. And instead of freaking out, I just tried to stop and slow down and assume that nobody was going to hurt me and just ask for directions. And that might seem like, well, yeah, that's what all of us do when we get lost. You just ask somebody for directions. But I don't think we all the time acknowledge how novel that is. To truly walk up to somebody and be like, you want to help me, right? Well, think about someone coming up to you. Hey, I'm lost. You'd be like, oh, well, I'll help you. Of course you would. Would you be like, get out of my face, dude? No, you wouldn't do that. It's like, oh, I'll help you. Of course I will. Like every other human on the planet is the same way, dude. They all want to help you. That's the idea there. Chapter 9, verse 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, it's double entendre, he also means children, to stumble, it would be better them for a large millstone to be hung around their neck and that they were thrown into the sea. So a lot of times this passage is referred to as a warning against false teachers, right? If you say the wrong thing, if you think the wrong thing, you know, you're going to be cast away from the people of God. But what he's saying is, get rid of it, right? It's the same thing as if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If there's a person hurting you, get away. If there's something that's keeping you from grabbing hold of the kingdom, leave it behind. You don't need it, right? Because a lot of times what keeps us in these relationships that are damaging to ourselves or being in different environments that were not healthy, you're bound to it. You feel like you have to be there. You have to serve it. Like, I can't get away from this thing. And Jesus is like, just throw it in the ocean. Tie a millstone around its neck if you have to. Ride a boat out to the middle of the ocean, drop it off and never return. It's gone to you. If something were to happen, we do everything we can to get away from the harm, right? If you're practicing pacifism when it's not actually dangerous, then when it actually is dangerous, I think we respond a little bit more in line with maybe what Jesus would do in the moment. It all boils down to like following your instinct and your gut in the moment. My continual thing is I continue to believe nothing bad is going to happen to me. I hear about things bad happening and that's possible and I get that, but nothing bad is going to happen to me. And it's just a little simple thing to keep just sort of on the tip of my tongue. Everything's fine. It's all going to be okay. Don't freak out. There's a theme that's going through the whole story of Mark chapter 9, and honestly goes through many of Jesus's teachings. You know, Jesus's most famous thing that he always talked about was loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself. Pretty much Christianity since then has just been trying to figure out what he meant when he said that. That's the whole religion that we practice is, what does it look like to love God with all my heart, soul, and strength, and how do I love my neighbor as myself, right? This whole chapter is about Jesus showing us how to see yourself in another person. So the transfiguration, let's take that for example. Jesus takes James, Peter, and John up this mountain and treats them to this crazy psychedelic experience. And he appears to be more than one person. It's Jesus, it's Elijah, and it's Moses. He's not just Jesus. He's got this three-personed figure, right? Really hard to describe, really hard to imagine. But if you think about what he's actually saying is he's saying, the me that is me can inhabit three different people. I can be Jesus, I can be Elijah, I can be Moses. It's still me. We're all speaking with the same voice. Still me. So he's showing you, we're all here. It's just me inside of these people. The next story is um, Jesus casting out a demon from a child who was, um, you know, basically had epilepsy. And the dad says, hey, Jesus, if you can do anything to help me, please, please help us. And then Jesus says, if you can, everything's possible for those who believe. And a lot of times we think about that as like Jesus going, are you questioning my power? I'm like the son of God, dude. Um, yeah, I can do that. Just take a number. But what Jesus, I think, is really doing is going, you mean if you can, not if I can, if you can, 
man, I've been teaching you how to do this. I've been showing you how to do all these things. And I've been telling you, you're going to do more miraculous things than I was ever able to accomplish. So you mean if you can, right? Jesus in him, he sees himself in this man. The dad's going, I don't know what to do. I've tried everything. We've tried to cast it out in your name already and it won't work. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah. Now that I see the severity of it, you have to do fasting and prayer for this kind. Isn't that neat how he does that? Here's where he starts talking about the kids. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me, right? So he's holding this baby, this infant. A lot of us have kids or have experience with children. When you hold an infant, there's no personality really set in yet, you know? Like you you might project your personality into them or think you're seeing something come out of them. And truly there, there is something there. There's that spark of life that we all kind of know lives in each one of us. And you see that, but there's not much else really going on. But you can identify, I see myself in this baby, right? And so Jesus now is holding this baby going, it's like this, guys. Like this person, this human person is no less a person than you, is no less a person than me, is no less a part of God's spirit than you or I am. We are all one in, you know, in the spirit of God. And so I think this whole chapter is kind of Jesus showing us how to use our imagination to see ourselves in others so that we can have compassion and to use our imagination to see Jesus' spirit in others. Even if someone doesn't claim to be a Christian or someone claims that they have no faith at all, like we being attached to the spirit of Christ somehow, this is the language we use to describe what people are at their core of what they are. We use this spirit of God language because we're Christians. And so we look at an unformed human in a child and we go, I see the spirit of God in there. I look at every single one of you in this room and I go, the spirit of Jesus Christ dwells within you. I see that. You can look at anybody, you know, political leaders, hardened criminals, you know, athletes, movie stars, whatever. And while they might just look like icons and figureheads and like, you know, idols for us to just play with and, you know, move around like on a Monopoly board, we go, no. The Spirit of God is in that thing, that squishy, poppable beanbag of skin and meat. The Spirit of God is in there. We hope you enjoyed what you just heard. Kindred Church is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you find value in the ministry of Kindred Church and would like to contribute to our efforts, visit kindredchurchreno.com to donate. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email kindredchurchreno at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.